Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. Hey, let's go ahead and pray tonight. Let's get rolling. Dear Jesus, we thank you for you. And Lord, I ask that your spirit just stays in this place and that your words just flow through me. Lord, give it direction. Lord, let it penetrate the hearts of the people that need to hear it. Lord, let us just love you. Let us be able to shine for you. Let us just to have courage in you, uh, just on this campus, in, in our families, in our friend groups. Lord, just thank you for the word that you've already taught us. Let us grow in that. But Lord, let tonight be a fresh word. And everybody said, amen. About four years ago, I was asked to do a wedding of some of our OG crossover people. They came in about month two of crossover and walked with us for the next two years. And um, they asked me to do their wedding, and it was a privilege, and it was an honor, and I was excited about it. And I snuck off to, to Dallas that weekend because my wife was like 120 months pregnant, it seemed like. And um, we actually made it about 20 minutes out of town. She tried to come, but she actually passed out in the car. So like, like any loving husband, I took her back to Norman, dropped her off, and went back to Dallas, right? Um, that was, luckily, I think my mama was there. So my mama was there. Everything was fun. Uh, but I go to Dallas, and uh, I did the rehearsal. It was great. And then we went to the rehearsal dinner. Usually my MO for rehearsal dinners is I, I eat the free meal, and then I say goodbye, right? Just like any good Christian, I, at least I get the, the free food, okay? Uh, but then I'm like, hey, I'll see you tomorrow for the wedding. Everything's good. But for some reason, I stood up to say goodbye, and God was like, I just want you to stay. So I was like, all right. So I ordered another holy Dr. Pepper, right? Kept, kept me awake. And I sat next to the bride and groom, and I got to listen to people talk about the bride and the groom. And for the next two hours, it was, it was a holy moment in my, in my life. It's one of the most memorable weddings that I have ever been to just because of the rehearsal dinner. And Will and Lauren, their friends, would come up, and one of his friends came up, and he's like, Will, listen. Like, they all kind of made their like, little punch jokes at Will. He's like, Will, I know that you're only five, six, but like I still look at you like a big brother. Like they would always say like their little quick punches, and they always had the, these like inside jokes that were going on. But then there was the flip. It's like, but 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 for reals, Will. Like I just want you to know, like I have been broken many times in my life, and every time I went to you, and you know what? You printed, you presented Jesus to me. You loved me. You encouraged me. You built me up. And he's like, I've known you since third grade and you've been the same guy since third grade that you are now and it's like you just always have been sturdy you've always been such a faithful person and then and then Lauren would walk and then friends from Lauren would walk up and they're like you know what I love Lauren she is the sweetest person I have ever met and she's like you know what um like, I love the fact that like, you've always presented Jesus in such a way. You've always been able to encourage me. You've always been able to build me up. And they're like, you know what? You taught me how to love Jesus. You taught me how to have fun with Jesus. And I'm just sitting there like, just like, like smiling and laughing. And like, we have 200 people in this rehearsal dinner. And all other 199 people were crying. Now, I'm not a crier. I would have cried if I could cry. Anybody with me out there? 
but like they were just like, I mean, it was such a holy moment. And they were, I mean, people were weeping. Now I bring that up to you now because I wanted to be able to give you a perspective about maybe where you're at right now. My question to you is, is what will your friends say about you at your rehearsal dinner? Some of you are like, I just hope I have a rehearsal dinner, amen? (laughs) Let's, Let's just be honest here. But I hope that it challenges us to maybe have a perspective of where we are at right now, how we act and interact with friend groups and how people look at us. And I hope that it can challenge us to examine our own life. I also hope that it can encourage you to fight the good fight of faith now that you can make a difference not only in your life, but you can make a difference in other people's lives as well. This is the biggest thing that I heard about uh, Will and Lauren at their wedding was this, is that your faith was immovable when my faith was cratering. And I'm like, man, like, how awesome would it be, students, if your friends could say that about you on your wedding day? Students, listen, last week I felt like, like Peter did a really good job with his letter. I thought Peter did a really good job on, on trying to teach his people on how to think right, how to fear right, how to love light, right. And I believe that Peter masterfully like, set up his people to recognize, like, like, we're called to be holy. Like at the end of the day, if you ever wonder where you need to be at, like we are called to be holy. And I believe that Peter has just set us up because I think he recognized something. And I hope that we recognize it last week that, that the, the change to start walking with Jesus starts on the inside of us way before it ever could happen on the outside of us. Peter wanted to implant something in their minds that can hopefully be implanted in our own minds that you, can, you can't be like Jesus on the outside until Jesus has transformed you from the inside. And how do you do that? You gotta think right, you gotta fear right, you gotta love right. But what does Peter share next? What does Peter have for us tonight? I love how he just kind of builds pieces up on each of his letters and he makes them just, uh, just better. I, I believe it's just, just a better process, better growing. And um, I love the fact that he's writing this to exiles, people who have been scattered out through this Roman empire here. Now just a side note here, I want you to know about these people. These people that he is writing to are people that um, have never heard a disciple talk, that have never had Paul come and plant a church. These are people who heard the story about Jesus Christ, the stories about what he taught about, and they believed. And these are people that are believing, and they might be by themselves, they might be a small group of people, but these are people who are known as exiles because they are starting to turn their lives towards Jesus. And so when they get a letter like this from Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, they look at that thing like it is gold in their hands. It's kind of like when you start feeling somebody, right? You start dating, and y'all don't talk anymore out loud. You text, right? So just imagine for the first time, like, that girl or that guy is like, hey, like, I want to tell you, like, what feelings I have for you. Like, 
Nothing else in that world matters at that point, am I right? Like you were looking at that cell phone like you, your eyes are as beautiful as the sunrise, right? Like you're like, this is, this is great. Hey, you hush it, you hush it, I'm reading, right? Like, like you're gonna look at that, like this is how they were with Peter. Like, dude, this is like, like I have nothing else to lean on. Like I, I need encouragement, I need guidance. This was gold to them. Some of y'all are like, I wish I'd got a text like that, right? I'm hitting on them, like I'm hurting you single people right now, right? Like Jesus is like, well, I got a love letter for you. It's called the Bible. Read it, all right? Jesus juke, right? I got one laugh. There you go. (laughs) Guys, I'm real creative with titles. I I, I titled tonight like Rock Solid Faith. There you go. Because this is where Peter says like, like once you get the inside of you right, Like, how can we start living our faith on the outside? What does our outside faith look like? We have to have rock-solid faith in this world. And this is what I want to do today. I want to do something a little different. I want to kind of jump around the text a little bit because in my mind, this is how it works. And hopefully I can translate it good enough from my mind to your mind. Does that sound okay? All right, we're going to talk about how to have rock-solid faith. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 9. Of 1 Peter. Here we go. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but what? But now you have received mercy. He's saying you are a royal priesthood. You are a a chosen race. You are a holy nation. This is what this tells me. You're Jesus's people. Now, why is this so important to these people during this day and age? Like, just think about the words that, that were being implanted to these individuals who felt like they were alone and they had nothing and they had nobody, they had no inspiration. Just imagine like when other people are turning away from them in their faith and people are shaming them and they're feeling like less than the world. Just imagine when you got Peter, the, the disciple of Jesus saying, no, 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 like, like you're holy, like you are God's chosen people, like Jesus loves you so much. Jesus is in, like Jesus tries to encourage you just think like like angels are gonna clap for you when you get to heaven next to Jesus like he wants them to understand the significance of who they are and when the world is trying to devalue them he is trying to strengthen them and Peter's like nah like there's no reason for you to be stuck in the muck right now there's no reason for you to feel down about your life right now there's no reason for you to feel any which way because guess what The creator of the universe has called you his own. He's called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. It's time to step up into your new identity and know your value. For the first time, they understood that their value was not determined by how much money they had in their bank account or where they were born or how popular they were or what their BMI was or what their sandals or their robes was stitched with, right? Like, like the, this was the first time that their value, how they felt about themselves, what they were labeled with, their value was in the name of Jesus and who he said that they were. 
Peter knew this, that rock solid faith started with this. My point number one is, you must know your value. Like there's certain reverence and fear and respect and loyalty to knowing who Jesus is to you. And when you fear right, but, but there's a certain reverence and fear and respect to knowing your value that Jesus has placed on you. And when you know the value that Jesus has placed on you, it not only changes the way that you think, but it also changes the way that you do things. Now, when I was a senior in high school, I, I, gradu- I, I went to a small school called Woodward High School. It's in the armpit of Oklahoma, okay? Um, and I was only there for about two years, and my senior year came up. It was about a year into my moving there. I had made some friends, but some friends kind of, you know, fluttered away, and I, I hadn't really found my groove uh, before my senior year, and right before my senior year started, I kind of befriended one of the popular guys, right? High school's so dumb, is it not? Like, some of you freshmen right now are like, I miss high school so much, like, like, I'm telling you, like three months from now, you're like, high school is so dumb, right? But I, I got in with the cool kids, all right? And I would walk into school and like, they just, it was awesome. They kind of flocked to me. I flocked to them. Like I got to know everybody in the school. Like it changed like my outlook on high school. It's like, okay, I got this conquered. Like now I'm ready for college, right? So I remember one day I'm walking in. Um, it's good. Everybody loves me. And then that evening, we all decided to go hang out in the McDonald's parking lot because we were cool, all right? And that's literally the only place that Woodward had, okay? If you don't know where Woodward is, you probably sneezed and you missed it when you're, you know, driving by. It's, it's pretty small. So anyways, that evening, they asked, hey, listen, Brent, like, senior prank is coming up. Would you want to be a part of it? Well, Woodward was big on senior pranks, and you, the, the year, you always tried to beat the year before. So two years before that, it was pretty cool. Those old cowboys, they climbed their little tushes all the way up the, tel- or the flagpole at school. And they got a bunch of car tires. And they stacked them down that flagpole, the 30 feet, all the way up to the top. I was like, that's pretty impressive. Took the maintenance guys like three weeks to get all those tires off there. Like it was, I'm like, that's a, good, that's a good senior prank, right? Next year was even better. They did, uh, they did one up them. They got a bunch of goats and sheep. They locked a small hallway in the, in the school. They fed the, the sheep and the goats lots of water and lots of food. And they peed and pooped everywhere. Like in the school and the, school, and the, and the teachers walked in and it was nasty. But it was a good senior prank. They could clean it up off the tile. No big deal. No harm, no foul, Right? So my class is like, we want to do a senior prank. Brent, we want you to be a part of the senior prank. And I'm like, well, what, do you, what, what, what are we going to do? Well, we're not going to tell you. We just need you to do something. I was like, well, what do you need me to do? And they're like, well, we want you to be a lookout. And I was like, well, lookout for they're like policemen. I was like, ooh. I'm like, I'm like you know, I'm kind of torn here. Like, like, these are my new friends. I'm in the crowd. But then I'm like, well, but also, like, there's, like, this doesn't feel right. And so I luckily, thank you, Jesus, I stepped back and I thought about something. I was like, okay, so what if this goes wrong? Okay, and say we do get arrested, all right? Um, and then I just thought about my, my father. Like, 
what would my father do, right? The first thing was anger. Like, okay, so I'm going to get some massive punishment, okay? I'm going to probably get grounded. Like, this is, and, and I was like, okay, that's still, okay, we're trying to weigh the odds a little bit. But then I was like, well, then he would be embarrassed. My, my, my dad was a pastor of one, one of the bigger churches in the community, and I, I'm sure he'd be ashamed because then I would just be another pastor's kid, like with the statistic, oh, you're just another pastor's kid, right? But then it hit me. Like, I could just imagine me sitting across from my father after, if, if it went wrong, and my dad just looking at me and say, like, don't you know that you're better than this? Like, 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 haven't I showed you that you were better than this? Haven't I told you, like, how valuable you are? Like, how important you are to me? And, and, and like, you don't need to do these things to have these friendships. And, and you're, more, you're more valuable than, than being a part of this mess and being a lookout for these cops. And, and as soon as I realized <clears throat> at that moment, that, that all those times that my, my dad had built into me, that my dad had loved me, that my dad had encouraged me, that my dad sat down and had deep conversations with me and how he showed me to be courageous even against the grain of society. Like, I just had to respectfully decline once I understood that. And it was met with opposition and it was met with them like trying to chirp at me, trying to get me and trying to sway me. And all of this, and, and finally I was just like, hey guys, I'm just not going to do it. And I lost some friends that day. Well, that evening, um, I, I went home, and I was like, man, this is crazy. Maybe I should have done it. I go to school the next day. I pull up, and I'm walking towards campus, and there are cops just lining our campus. And I even see a couple FBI agents there. And I look, and I see that there are 12 memorial trees cut down in front of my school. 12 trees of 12 fallen students over the last 25 years of Woodward High School, and that was our senior prank. But they cut down memorial trees of fallen students from the last 25 years, and I just, I, I just said, thank you, Jesus. All 12 of the students that were involved, they all got arrested. They all had to spend a year in Woodward. They had to plant a tree each, and they had to make sure that it grew, and if it didn't grow, that it grow they had to stay another year. Like it was on the record, and I was like, just, Lord, thank you that I knew the value that my dad had put into my life, and I was able to deny it. Listen, students, when you know the value that Jesus has placed over your life, you know what it gives you? It gives you an option that other people who don't have Jesus do not have. It's the option that says this, what I am about to do, does it credit or does it discredit the value that Jesus has placed over me? What I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, the way that I'm about to act, the anger that I'm about to have, what, the way that I'm about to drive, I need him to speak a little bit more into me in that, right? Like the what I'm about to do, does it credit or does it discredit the value that Jesus has placed on my life? And when you know the value of your life in the name of Jesus, you have an option. Listen, students, you have an option to walk away when most people don't. You have to know your value. But it leads me to my next point, what Peter says here in verse uh, 11 and through 12. But beloved, I urge you, sojourners, 
and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when, you, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day of visitation. I, I, like I just, it kind of sounds old school, like abstain from the passions of the flesh, right? Like, like I love just like the, 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 the literature here and like keep your conduct honorable. But you know, when I really dissect just this one little like paragraph of scripture here, I can see that it tells me two things. It shows me that, that, that you have value in your value in Jesus, but the second thing is that it proclaims Jesus to other people in the way that you conduct your life. Like what you do matters not only to you, but according to the scripture, what you do also matters to other people. So Peter is telling these people who are trying to find their way and find their rhythm in their walk with Jesus, like you want to build a solid rock faith, then start living in your faith. If you have Jesus on the inside, don't hide it under a bushel, no, right? Like, do we need to sing the song? Like, don't just be a Christian around Christians. Like, let everything that you do, everything that you say, every way that you act, proclaim Jesus. Because it won't only change your life, it could possibly change somebody else's life. Now, students, I want to be just a little bit vulnerable here. Like, I was a gray liner in college. And this is what I mean by gray liner. Like, I knew what Jesus had done for me. I knew how much Jesus loved me. I knew what Jesus wanted to, I, I even knew the calling on my life in college. I really did. I knew that I was called into ministry, but I was running from it. But I also knew what the world offered, and I knew what the world could give me, and I had comfort in the world, and I had friends that were in the world. And listen, Brent Russell was smack dab in the middle. I was tiptoeing on not, not being great, and I wasn't tiptoeing on being bad. I was tiptoeing just that gray line of not being nothing. And I feel like some of us in here right now, we are tiptoeing on that gray line. And let me tell you, is that you will never find peace on the gray line. You will never find joy in the gray line. You will never find hope on the gray line because Jesus is not the king of your life and the world is not being everything that it needs to be. And this is what happens is you will never be able to experience the world like you used to if you've ever experienced the depths and the love of Jesus Christ has for you. If you've ever experienced the love that Jesus has for you, you will never fit into this world. But also, if you know the depths and the love of Jesus, and you know that you are not walking with him fruitfully, and you know that you're not walking with him faithfully, you know that there will always be this pull to have more, and Jesus is, his, you know, the deep is crying to the deep. You will never be able to be fully satisfied in God if you're still dabbling in this world, because you will not be able to, to walk in the promises of Jesus. So you're stuck. You're not filled by the world, and you're not allowing Jesus to fill you. But Peter's like, hey, listen. The conduct of your life, the way that you live your life is a reflection of your faith. So how do we do this? How do we conduct our lives in a way that it shows our faith? And I'm just going to simply say this. you got to know your goat trails. That's correct. You need to know your goat trails. 
You guys are like, dude, this dude talks about goats and sheep a lot. What's going on? Is this FFA or crossover? Hey, we're all sheeps going astray. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, many of you know about the, the Persian army and the Persian army of the 300 men that, that were led by King Leonidas. Now, I'm going to ask you to, to read the story about it. I'm not going to ask you to watch the movie about it. And if you do, watch the TV edited version. Amen. Hallelujah. Because we're Christians. But King Leonidas is going against King Xerxes and all the countries that he has taken over and he has consumed their, their, um, their warriors. Um, and these 300 men, they put themselves in front of King Xerxes' armies, and they have backed themselves into a crevice of a mountain. And these 300 men, for the next two days, battled it out against 3,000-plus men. And they slayed. They owned it. Like, they, like, Xerxes couldn't get past them, and this was just slay game, all right? And, and what happened was Xerxes is getting a little frustrated And about day three, he's like, you know, we're about to give up. We're going to have to regroup. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to try something else because this won't happen anymore. We're going to have to retreat. And at that moment, this little snivel of a man, I can't say his name. It's Ephialtes, all right? He was a Persian citizen who went against his homeland and he told Xerxes, hey, if you pay me a lot of gold with a lot of women, I will, I will tell you what you need to know to defeat the King Leonidas. He goes, okay, done deal. And he tells them, hey, there's a goat trail around back. If you, if you gather your men, you will be able to flank King's, King Leonidas and his 300 men. You will be able to defeat them. King Xerxes then takes his men goes around the, the, the goat trail, and they defeat King Leonidas and all of his men. Now, you read later on, it sparks a fire with other people, and they end up taking over King Xerxes. But the point of the story is this. What are the goat trails in your life that you give access to the enemy to defeat you? Like, seriously, like how are you battling the devil right now that he is able to, to find a back route beside you or maybe right in front of you. And how does he keep on defeating you right now? How many of us right here, let's just be honest with yourself and Jesus. Like, how many of you feel defeated? How many of you feel stuck? How many of you feel stagnant in your faith? Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel depressed. Maybe you feel beaten and distraught. And what if we just take this passage seriously? Like, like I'm just gonna, I, I, I don't have enough brain power to make this fluffy, so I'm just going to, like, I'm going to look at this, I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says. Like, what if we take this passage seriously and we recognize this, that the things that we do in our flesh will wage war against our soul? Because bad conduct in our life things that we know that are against God and we still allow those in our life, we are allowing that goat trail for the devil to come and attack us and attack us and attack us and we allow it to have war in our soul. The thing about goat trails in our life, most of the time that's not a real secret. Most of the time it's not a surprise for us. Can I... Can, can I get serious here? Most of the times, 
we know what the goat trail is, but the problem is, is that we haven't put a line of defense to stop the goat trail in our life. How many of you right now, let's just be real, like how many of you have a porn addiction right now? Like you know it when you do it, when you watch it, after the game, after the next day, right? You can't even look at yourself in the mirror because you feel shame, you feel guilt, you feel just absolute like smushed, right? And it's like, like, like you know that's a goat trail, you know that the devil's defeating you and they're like, like how are we protecting that? Like how are we building barriers around that? How many of you are telling your friends, hey listen, I got this problem. How can we like try to get some accountability around it? How many times are you like try to put blocks on your phone and have your friends like set up the passwords? Maybe if you're super like into this, like buy covenant eyes for like six bucks a month. I don't know how much it is, but download it on your phone and have your mama on the receiving end of that that shows everything that you looked at and say, mom, listen, I need you to review everything that I looked at online. And if your mom is crazy, like my mom, she'll probably look at it every day, right? Like, cause she loves you. She cares for you. But listen, we know what the goat trail is. Are we willing to put the line of defense because he has called us to be holy? How many of us feel guilty for being a little too handsy with our girlfriend or boyfriend? Like seriously, we know that's a goat trail. We know that the, the devil is attacking us. We know that we feel shame. We know that we feel guilt. And I promise you, she's feeling hurt. And I can promise you, he's feeling hurt. And you're not really proud of yourself, but it's this addiction that you just keep on doing. And you know that it doesn't lift God up. It actually tears your faith apart. And it wages war in your soul. Like, like, how many, like are you putting defenses in that? Like four feet on the floor, and like don't go, like never lay in bed together. Like, hey, kissing is a is a gateway drug for us. Like, maybe on the on the cheek, right? Like, I don't know. Like, what defenses are you putting in your life on that goat trail? I mean, I could I could give you twelve others. Like, I mean, how many of us are sluggards and lazy in our schoolwork, and we know that it just like kills us. How many of us abuse Friday night? How are we putting defenses on our goat trails? I love how he explains just a little deeper. Like keep your conduct honorable around Gentiles. Those are people who do not know Jesus. So that when they speak of you, that they may see your good deeds and glorify him. That tells me two things. Both non-Christians and Christians can both tell if your life resembled Jesus or not. And the second thing it tells me is that your conduct could have consequences for someone else. Because if they don't see Jesus through your actions, they will never see the need to have Jesus in their life. Our actions have consequences that affect more than just us. But Peter's like, hey, let's think about it another way. Like, what if your actions did resemble Jesus? What if, what if the girls in your sorority, right, they saw that, that you stood up one day and you said, you know what, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to glorify him, I'm going to quit doing things, that I, I'm going to clean up my conduct because I love Jesus and it makes me feel bad, it makes me feel horrible, I'm tired of the devil having control over my life and I want to take control back and I want to give it to Jesus. You know what, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to be different, I know that it's going to change some things in my life and I might lose some friendships but I got to be the person that I need to be and I can promise you something girls if you stand up for Jesus there's going to be another girl that says you know what since you stood up for Jesus I want to stand up for Jesus and I promise you you will see this this domino effect of when you take a 
uh, change for Jesus, I'm telling you, it could change the trajectory of many people's lives. Students, find your goat trails. And if you can't find any goat trails and you're just super holy, all right, ask your two best friends, they'll tell you. Say, in what ways in my life do I not look like, act like, think like Jesus? And I'm telling you, your two best friends will be able to tell you really quick about which ways you're not. And when you find those ways, wage war against those trails and put defenses up and put people around you to help you. And what I've learned, please learn this from someone who is older. Waging war against the devil is so much easier than waging war against your soul. Waging war against the devil is so much easier than waging war against your soul. Because you, like, you think cleaning up your conduct is going to be hard? Like, believe you me, it is much, much easier than trying to put darkness where the light of Jesus is. Waging war against the devil is much easier than waging war against your soul. So rock solid faith. We have to know your value. You have to know your goat trails. And the last one is in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk that by it that you may grow up in your salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, holy and acceptable through God, through Jesus Christ. For as scripture it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a, stum- a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble. Why? Because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Listen, I wish I could dissect every verse of that. But I think that if we can take just the perspective of what, G, of what Peter's trying to say here is we need to stack our life right. And Peter here is, is like myself, we have a craftsman brain and this is how we think and, and, and he's trying to make this as the simplest way to get his point across is simply this. Like Jesus is this proverbial stone that was rejected by men but if you build your life upon him because of what he has done for you, because he came and he died for your sins to have eternal life in him. If you, if you believe in that proverbial stone, if you build your life upon Jesus, upon the rock, then your life will be transformed. Why? Because he is, should be the foundation of everything. He is the foundation of our hope. He's the foundation. He is our encourager. He is our defender. He is our alpha. He's our omega. And Peter was trying to tell these people who are trying to find their way, who feel like their, their, their life is just, man, like I'm, I'm making baby steps in my faith. Like to the people who haven't found their purpose, and they're waiting for some miraculous cloud opening, and God's saying like, you need to choose this. Like some of us are like, 
like, like in our own jobs. You're like, you need to be a manager at Lowe's. Like, we're just waiting for God to like respond to us, right? Trying to find purpose. Like, it sounds a lot of people, like a lot of people in college, realizing for the first time the faith that you have in Jesus is because it's your parents' faith. And now you don't have mama and daddy taking you to the church every Sunday. And now you don't have your youth group leader telling you, like asking, well, how are you, how's your quiet time going? Maybe you don't have friends around you that are trying to encourage you about this. And you're trying to find purpose. And Peter is, looks and says, build your life on Jesus. What does that mean? Like, do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus says in his book. And when Jesus warns you not to do something, don't do, do something. And when Jesus encourages you to do something, don't hesitate to do it, but trust that he will give you the strength and the knowledge to do it. Now, how do we know if we are stacking our life up on Jesus or not? I could give, give you a thousand ways of that, but but I think if we can just evaluate one thing, I'm going to take one of a thousand things tonight. Why don't you evaluate what you worry about? I've heard it said multiple times, what you worry about most is where you trust God the least. And where you trust God the least is where the foundation of your life will be the weakest. And what would your life, and I want you all to rest right quick, what would your life look like? like? Let's take the one thing that you worry about most. What would your life look like if you let God be God over that one worry? How much peace would you have? How much joy could you find right now? How much more would each day mean to you if you could just give that one worry? Maybe it's your past. Take, take your past away. Give it to Jesus let him be the God that forgives everything and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. Like what is the one thing, what is the one worry that you have right now that you need to give to God? Most of us in here, if I know college students better than, than anything else, it's your future. Most of you right now, it's your future job, it's your future spouse, it's your future income, it's your future, future, future. Like how freeing would it be if you could just say, you know what, God, listen, I'm going to be the man or the woman that I need to be, and I'm going to try my hardest now. I want to be holy because you are holy. I want to be able to find my rhythm with you. I want to be able to know you. I want to be able to hear your voice. I want to be able to understand your will and be able to understand your word. And you know what, Lord, listen, I'm going to give you my future tonight, my future spouse, my future my future job, everything about my future, and I want to give it to you, and I'm going to lay it down, and I want to glorify you with everything that I have. Like, you got to stack your life upon the cornerstone, upon Jesus. And I'm telling you, he will, he will make your burdens light. He promises to give you encouragement when no one else will. But the other thing that I see here that, that Peter's trying to tell them is that that this walk of life, once you stack your life upon Jesus, it's not meant to be done, done alone. It's meant to be done with others. You are a living stone and you, are, you yourself are like other living stones being built in a spiritual house. You need to have the right stones stacked around you 
as well. And students, we are to fight the good fight of faith with people around us. And I, I just think about the devil in this situation. Like, like the devil, he, it says that he is here to kill, steal, and destroy. He's like a, a roaring lion, like seeking to devour you. And when, when we watch lions hunt, I notice my kids love like animal shows. I still haven't told them that, that Steve Irwin died, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm dreading that day, okay? Like they love Steve Irwin. But, but when, I, when you watch a lion hunt, what you see is that they actually creep up to these wildebeest, all right? But just for a split second, what they do is they, 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 they leap and they start going towards these wildebeest. And what, they don't go to the one that's in the middle of the pack. They go to the one wildebeest that goes off by themselves and they are alone. And then they just attack that wildebeest and they take them down. See, the lion t- attacks the one that went alone. Students, the easiest target for the devil is a Christian trying to do his life or her life on their own. They're not willing to go and commune. They're not willing to go and be vulnerable. They're not willing and, and, and show people their insecurities and say, you know what, I don't know this, I don't understand this, please can you help me? They're not trying to seek help from someone, and they're not trying to seek to help someone. And the greatest way for you to grow in your faith, and I promise you, I cannot urge you this a month, anymore is the fact that your faith will grow astronomically if you put the right people around you if you stack your life with the right believers who will push you closer to Jesus because when you do I promise you your life will change the devil wants to tell you no you don't want to break out of that friend group because you won't have any other friends I promise you he wants to tell you lies he wants to tell you no you're not you're not good enough to go Go talk to the person. Oh, you're too shy to go talk to a new person tonight. Listen, he's going to fill you with all of these lies to not put the right people around you. Do it. Don't listen to his voice. Listen to God's voice. We are supposed to do this life together. If you're doing this life alone, then you're doing exactly what the devil wants you to do. But see... When we do take that courage and we do make that fight and we do actually make time for community, Peter does give us just a small snippet of what we're supposed to do within that community. He says, pay attention then when you get brothers or sisters around you and put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander because a church is supposed to be built of a community. And why is this so important for Peter to convey to these people at this time because, because when you have hate in your heart and when you aren't trustworthy and when you gossip and when you are jealous of those around you, that will eliminate community that will never build community. And students, if we are to think on what is right and what is pure and what is holy and what is beautiful, we are also supposed to speak on what is right and what is pure and what is beautiful. So how well you stack your life up on Jesus and how well you stack your life up with other people in this world and the people who are around you, who love you and encourage you, will determine, listen, how rock solid your faith would be. So students, as I close up tonight, rock solid faith, we need to know our value, our value in Jesus. We need to know our goat trails, yes I said it, and we need to know how to stack our life on Jesus. We need to know your value. It gives you an option. 
is what I'm about to do, is that going to give credit or discredit to the value that Jesus has placed on me? Some of us tonight, we need to lay those stinking goat trails out tonight. We need to go to our prayer team and say, you know what? I have this problem. I want to pray it away. We got a prayer team up, up top. We got a prayer team down, down here. I need to pray that goat trail away out of my life. I need the devil to quit winning, and I need to start giving my faith over to Jesus. Some of us, we need to stack our life up. First off, some of us need to stack up our life on Jesus all the way tonight. We've been flirting with it, but tonight we want to say, you know what? I want to give my whole life to Jesus tonight, and I beg you to come and talk to one of the prayer team as well. Some of us, we need to stack our life up with the right people, have the courage, have just the love and the sincerity walking up to somebody saying, like, like, I want to, like, I want to go take you out to a, to a Coke tomorrow, right? Dr. Pepper, make it holy, right? Like, I want to buy you a Dr. Pepper tomorrow because I want to be your friend. Students, listen, when we do these things, I promise you, your faith will grow, and the way that you conduct yourself will change how you are, but it'll also change how other people's lives around you are.